Welcome to another episode of Into the Remote Podcast, the show where we explore the new ways of working and exciting new future of work. Glad to have you with us again. Welcome to another episode of Into the Remote Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about managing remote product teams, and I'm extremely excited about today's guest, Yurai Pal. Yurai, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here with us. And Yurai and I, we go back a long way. We've known each other for almost a decade. We met in Denmark first when we both studied there. Then Yurai had his own startup, sure, super exciting project. And then uh, we worked together at Slido and Yurai helped to shape the product as we as you know it today. And his, his impact has been transformative. And after that, he moved on and joined a fully remote company on deck. And I don't know many people who are as passionate about developing and shaping SaaS products as Uri is. So once again, Uri, welcome. We're excited to have you here with us. Oh, man, thanks for the intro. You're the reason who um, got me into Slido. So I'm sure uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It was an amazing journey. So... Yeah, we have a lot to touch on today. We'll be talking about managing remote product teams and building products in SaaS sits at the crossroads of two modes of work. On one hand, it requires focus work as designers, developers, uh, QA leads, they need to do their hands-on work such as coding, designing, testing. And on the other hand, it also requires a strong collaboration and participation as the team has to prioritize, create roadmaps, give feedback and talk to the customers. So, Juri, over to you. How did remote work change the way we work on building SaaS products? I think it's an interesting question because if you think about both SaaS and like the rise of SaaS and uh, remote work, I think that the key for me is both both in those is adaptability. Like SaaS allowed us to like when on-prem was no longer stable, like enter the world of SaaS where you no longer have to like enter a retail store to buy an application. Like I can literally buy a piece of software in the middle of the night and try it with my team the next morning. And and in a similar way, remote work about remote work is about adaptability. Like I can now hire people more inclusively. I can hire people in important geographies where I'm gonna scale or expand to. So I see those as huge positives and obviously remote work existed before COVID, but COVID surely accelerated a lot of these things and challenges. If you look at specifically product management and how product teams operate, I think I met a lot of teams who were not used to doing remote work whatsoever before um, this kind of rapid change happened and those struggled. Um, they scrambled together and it took them months to kind of figure out what is the communication system that, that we're going to build so we survive not just succeed like how can we continue shipping products and features at the same ish speed in this new environment where communication and collaboration is almost falling apart if those barriers and if that foundation was not set up before so that that was the biggest change that i've seen got it and you already touched on some of the challenges right but can we go a little bit deeper what do you consider as some of the biggest challenges that the product teams are facing when they have to collaborate remotely? Yeah, so I think that the, there's the obvious one about tools, like what kind of new tools will my product team need to do their job well? 
um, also work methods, like does this meeting mm -hmm. work or does it no longer work in this context? Is it remote friendly or remote first meeting or, or an activity? Communications issues were huge. Um, you know, we, we've all done it, decisions made in the hallway, that's my favorite, um, and then not communicated. <laughs> and you wake up sure. across the world. Um, <laughs> you can see I have my personal bias to that. Um, motivation and, and social isolation are our biggest well on like the more personal level. Like suddenly we're all stuck at home and I mean, we, we both experienced it and we were there and, and all your social life for, for a bit was just work mm -hmm. and your colleagues. Um, and also motivation, like how do I make sure that like the boundary between work and life is kind of no longer there until, uh, unless we put, put real effort into it. So why should I be motivated to, to, to work and, and do stuff instead of just like scrolling TikTok um, after lunch for two more hours? Um, and, and I think with that also I've seen, and I struggle with it myself, just overload with work, like suddenly with that boundary being blurred, it seems like we're working more and, and are struggling to set those boundaries. So more and more people I, I've met are overworked. Um, it's no surprise to me that mental health is suddenly so mm -hmm. much on the rise and, and, and I love yeah. that it is, but, but it's also a sad truth about these boundaries and how, how we set up work. Oh, wow. Wow. You mentioned quite a few points there, and <laughs> I think we could go really uh, deeper into each one of them. But one in particular caught my caught my attention, and it was about making decisions in the hallways, right? Or uh, that kind of effect that uh, the, the, the conversation happened after the, the official meeting is, let's say, over, right? And this kind of, let, let's call it an informal communication and informal decision making. I think this is a huge, huge challenge, right? Especially for the hybrid teams. What would you say is the best remedy? I, I'm still learning this and I learned it the hard way. Uh, and it's something that I actually learned from the team at OnDeck after mm -hmm. I, after Slido, because they, they grew up to be remote mm -hmm. first, remote only to, to an extent. Um, and I think my realization was there that a meeting should equal a document. Mm -hmm. uh, like there, there should be a physical trace, physical artifact of each meeting, ideally. And of course, this will not, um, there'll still be cases where you meet someone in the hallway or you're making coffee and, and there's a discussion that happens, but it really eliminates a lot and you can go back and trace decisions and, and meetings and what was discussed, etc., much more easily. Um, it will still happen. And I think the, the time zones is just little we can do about time zones and each company will be centered around a, a certain time zone. So it's just natural that some work will happen and then you wake up uh, and, and something has changed. Um, so it's about what trace are those people and that other time zone leaving for you to, to catch up on uh, and making it easier. So you also like are not catching up on communication for half your day. Um, but I really loved the, the kind of notion of a meeting equals a document because it was it was much easier to kind of stay in the loop and, and, and informed and empowered to do work. Absolutely love that quote. And uh, it very much goes hand in hand with another very interesting take on uh, asynchronous work where Darren Marf of GitLab said that asynchronous work um, ultimately means documentation. Right. And I think it very much goes hand in hand with what you said on the topic of meetings and documenting them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, just think about, about Slido, right? We did not have a very strong mm -hmm. writing culture to start with. I'm comparing to like 
the best company to, to talk about writing, I think, is Stripe from from some of the people I talked to, and I, I learned a lot about how they build that writing culture into everyone, um, very much into product and engineering as well, but other functions too. Um, we did not grow up with that because there was no need. I mean, you know this better than me. There was you were sitting around one table for most of it. Um, and the team was also smaller, so decisions and information was shared much more easily. But um, it was one of the biggest thing when, when I was leading the product team at Slido during the sort of few years of COVID and where we all just kind of worked remotely. The, the, the biggest number one investment I was, I was working on was writing and documenting and kind of creating the system for communication, uh, both asynchronous and synchronous. But, but how can we teach and coach our PMs to write and to want to write. Like it's, it's, you're not just gonna love it from day one if, if that's not your habit or if that's not how you operate. Some people think by writing, right? Some people journal, some people have these habits, but if I come to someone and, 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 and from one day say, hey, you should start writing um, half page or a memo about this decision or this thing that you're thinking about in, in, in the product, like. They're not going to love that. Uh, it feels like extra work, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can do all the work to explain and talk through what the benefits are. And, and I think people realize what the benefits yeah. are, but it's it's hard. It's, it's a totally new skill to write well. Absolutely. And that's a very interesting point, Yurai, what you made over there about building that writing culture. And let's go back to you mentioning the Stripe as one of those companies who really nailed it. So how would you build that habit? How would you build that culture? What are some of the ways to do that, to encourage PMs and you know the entire team to start putting things down in writing? I feel like there's, there's kind of two questions there. One is how do you even start with writing as a skill outside of this context? And, and the other one is how to um, build that writing culture in a team or in an organization. Um, the former, I struggle with myself, the advice where, when I ask around, just, just start, just like with any other creative activity, I suppose, like just start, just, just put the reps in, like write for 10 minutes and it's fine. Like, I think this, this is like outside of work as well, but just as a practice, but, um, to, to make sure something like writing culture is embedded into culture. I think, of course, it's easier to start with that, but it's, but if you're in a situation where, where you're suddenly in a distributed team and it, it becomes increasingly important that you document and write stuff down, I would I would make sure that all the other meetings or, or, or things that sort of make up your culture, writing is some part of that as well. Like if you have an update from leadership, like have them share a memo, like have, have them also display that writing is important to them and they value writing like all this practice and all those little things will add up uh, it will not work if you know i'm forcing our product org to write very detailed specs and, and documents for every decision or every meeting they're they're having and the rest of our organization does not have that culture or doesn't write so right i think that's where it fails um and it, it all like ultimately i think writing in an organization will solve a lot of cross-functional issues or challenges as well. Like it's so much easier to to collaborate with our stakeholders um, internally and externally for that matter. If you have things in writing, if you can share and if you get a feedback on that, um, again, it then opens up the synchronous feedback option where you can get more voices in. Um, and, you know, 
I've worked in both product and, and partnerships, and both of these functions are very heavy on stakeholder communication. So writing and, and, and this sort of communication was super, super important there as well. Mm-hmm. And this kind of like a writing culture needs to be enabled by the tools. And you write one of the key tools that you brought to Slido that literally changed the way we communicate internally was Notion. And I know how much you were rooting for it and once again, spreading a good word about the tool and explaining the why behind. What's your take on the, on, on the tool stack? What tools do you find absolutely indispensable if you want to create this culture of writing? Yeah, um, I love bringing Notion. I'm, I'm, so my wife is Alex is still at Slido and I, and I love peeking that is Notion still alive because <laughs> I, I really fear that we'll get killed as a project after the acquisition no. and all the other change, but it's still there. So I'm, I'm happy, uh, my little baby. I, I think it was, it was an easy decision because we did not have this, this system before. Um, and it's something I talked to before, like suddenly all the PMs were distributed and we're still trying to ship the product as we are before. The roadmap didn't change, but the context, how it worked changed a lot. So we needed something and, and I looked at a bunch of tools, but Notion kind of allowed us that flexibility and that like, was like adding blocks into it and shaping it the way we needed. Um, but it was my biggest fear there was that, yeah, we'll, we'll do a successful pilot of Notion for the product and engineering org, but the rest of the company will not adapt to it mm-hmm. and let me use it. Um, so I'm glad, that's why I'm joking about it, but I'm glad to see like other teams adapting it and, and using it and even like having a hub for the whole company in Notion. Like whatever tool it is, Notion or something else, I think a tool like this will work well if it's if it's built or used as a as that sort of one source of truth for a company um and that was super important right like you will have your intranets or again whatever the tooling is but if the whole company is using it or is used to it as like this is the one place i'm gonna go to um then that's part of the success and i i think it was an incredible enabler like it allowed us to to peek into other teams' work, for instance, right? Like the projects that they were working on, the meetings that they were having. And that, once again, goes very much hand in hand with a certain culture that you have in the company because some teams in other companies might not be, you know, comfortable with others speaking into the way they work and what they are working on, right? So it's all very much interconnected. But coming back to our case at Slido, it was incredibly empowering and enabling and really was bringing down the silos. But one question here, Yurai, how did we manage to scale Notion into the rest of the company. You started with the product teams, but how did we manage, you know, to scale it across the whole company? Yeah. Um, yeah, so as I said, we, we did a pilot with product and engineering um, to kind of get that writing uh, habit in and, and to to make sure we have a place where the roadmap is shared for other teams. So that was, that was kind of first peek in for, for other stakeholders where we're like, if you want to see what a product is going to ship and work on, here's an ocean link, like get them used to that before it was a spreadsheet. Um, and you know, it's, it, it took a while to change like, oh, where's the spreadsheet? No, it's now a notion doc. But then I think the second thing that we tried was, uh, instead of our, um, sort of intranet page, we moved that to notion as well. And that was like the Slido HQ home where you would find like when in the holidays or like what are the company events and like the, 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 the critical information, all hands recordings 
And those are sort of high demand, all company information that you want to have access to. So it was sort of an easy win to replace it with Notion. And then suddenly people are going to Notion on a regular basis. Um, and I think part of this is probably down to part of Notion as a product and, and how it spreads. And, and, and I like that product myself. Um, and, you know, it has that reality, like I, when someone who is not using Notion is, is checking out company holidays in, in our slider Notion, they're starting to play around with it, create a page maybe, and they're like, oh, I could actually move my work here. So it sort of happened organically from there, I would say. Um, and then someone in each org, it depended if, if each org or each team had almost like an ambassador for the tool, like someone who rooted for it and kept everyone on it, like it was needed like i was i was the person for for, for that in, in product like you know being the annoying person to remind everyone of notion and, and everyone's sick of me but it's, it's something that kind of had to be done i also think that people in general like to keep up with what the others are doing right and if some some teams are doing something super cool like switching to notion for example uh, then you might feel more inclined to start doing something like that as well, right? Like, oh, I love how yeah. it looks. I how I love how they keep their um, their work synchronized and you know organized. And why are we still in the sheets, right? So yeah. I think this kind of a FOMO to a certain extent, and also mimicking the behavior of other teams, actually helps uh, with with the usage of these tools. Let's stick on the topic, Uri, because uh, documenting things and putting them into one single source of truth whether it's Notion or any other tool out there, is one way to work in a, in a synchronous manner. But you also brought to Slido Loom or uh, you know other competitors yeah. out there are like a vidcast and stuff like that. So switching some of the synchronous meetings into a video messaging. What, what's your take on that? How important is Loom for asynchronous communication in Teams? I mean, I love Loom. Um, well, I haven't used it for a while now because I'm not working. Huh? But um, I I loved it. It 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 enabled me back before anyone else around me got it. And in Slido's context, I mean, like I feel like I was the weird one for sending people Looms, and it felt weird. But now, again, like Loom or, or other tools are much more the norm. Like back then, I remember I was based in San Francisco, and 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 Slido HQ is in Slovakia and Europe. And we are centered around that HQ time as opposed to US. So, you know, I hated my life, frankly, for waking up at 5 a.m. to do some of the mm. calls because that was the only option many times um, or for lack of my boundary setting at work. Um, mm -hmm. But it, you know, suddenly I could, you know, at 4 p.m. my time in San Francisco when the whole HQ or, or people in London or people in Europe were, were logged out, um, I could record a loom instead of waiting with my message or with my communication or with my question or whatever that, that be for the matter. For example, I could record a loom and send it to on, on Slack and the team would reword it in their morning. Like again, like work moved instead of having those blockers being meetings. Like why do we need to wait another day and, and then we're lucky. Like why do we need to wait for like another five days when we find an opening on our three colleagues calendar uh to do another meeting to to move a decision to move a project if we can move it asynchronously and um so loom was like it was it was it was enabled for me at that point i don't think it added that much value for for the rest of the team because they didn't see or need that benefit um but i'm glad we we were able to then scale it to different use cases and as you said like 
replace some some meetings or like try to replace some meetings um and it's still a it's like a balancing act between asynchronous and synchronous like it's also a big psychology thing i think personally like i'm the type of person who loves say i get a figma file from a designer or from a pm and and they they're asking for my feedback like my preferred communication there will be to open loom and and record my screen and myself go over the figma and kind of talk through my feedback or, or share the feedback in that way which is easier for me but i also have to account for that is that just easier for me mm-hmm. or am i kind of dumping the load now on that person who will like to like listen to that and process it as opposed to me giving them three bullet points so it's it's a balance between preference and how psychologically you want to share information and consume information it's like i think a good example to that is sending a voice message like sending a voice message to someone is so easier for me as a sender but it's much more sort of it flows to work to the recipient like you have to now listen to me three talking for three minutes while i'm communicating probably just one message and i'm rambling for the rest so it can be like that with loom this is such an important point and and honestly i never thought of it i i always thought like okay you're going to simplify your own work but that kind of Mm -hmm. empathy for the receiver is so important exactly as you said right instead of leaving a comment and on you know in, in Figma, sending the person, you know, five minutes uh, narrative might put um, more of a load on that person. But uh, still, I think we both agree that there are a lot of advantages of communi- communicating in an asynchronous way through Loom or any other tools out there. Mm, what are some of the meetings that are the ripest for being turned into a video message? Yeah, this will I feel like this will depend on culture of each company. Like we had specific meeting artifacts at Slido, they were important. Like we had the um Monday morning meeting, uh, where Peter, the CEO, like talked to the company and it was a special time for especially as the company grew for, for any people who didn't work with them to see him on a weekly basis and kind of get updates from him. Um and I know that I was the one who like always pushed and like you should just record a loom just send them a loom just like i can't attend that meeting anyway because I'm, I'm i'm in the us uh and it happened morning of, of europe time but it was so valuable to everyone in in europe so we always had that sort of a fight between or it was just me against everyone frankly but like i again it's about the empathy like why is that so important to have that in person for for the rest of the team um but one 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 meeting that i think was had a success that um i replaced uh with loom for the product org as we used to do these monthly almost like demo days for the rest of the company like what got shipped what's new in product um very important again for internal stakeholders and other teams to know like think about customer care or customer success like if there's a new feature out there like how are we going to educate on our internal folks about it um and those used to be in person and like probably followed by like pizza and beers or whatever like and that works great as well but um we replaced it with like one long notion dog uh and i asked all the pms to record a loom of their updates or what's new from their team and we embedded that into the notion doc so the the output was a notion doc with embedded loom videos and that got shared on slack with the whole company i think the beauty of that for something like product demos or updates is that 
it just lives there and you can go back to it so easily. So as opposed to watching a one hour long recording of that demo day meeting, you can just watch a five minute Bloom video snippet of the team that you need that information from specifically. Um, so it was much more like broken down in box that you can consume easily. But it requires another skill set to be able to communicate in a clear and succinct manner. How do how do you do that? It takes a training. Like it 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 takes time. Um, you know, some people are great at public speaking and presenting, and, and same for PMs. Like it again, it wasn't a skill growing up as a PM at Slido. So writing or even like presenting uh, a lot, like. So it's something that we had to just get into habit of doing and and these things help like i would get messages from some of the pms of like midnight the day before where mm -hmm. i'm like looking at the notion dog and there's no loom and i'm messaging them can you please do your loom and they're like oh, i don't feel like talking to your camera i'm like i get it but again it probably is a bigger picture like what are the you know skills and what does a product manager mm -hmm. need to do well and i think communication is such a huge one um and then it should just go hand in hand with what like being able to craft the message and storytelling around your feature or your product that you're shipping and record a loom or present to your company or whatever it is for that matter. Um, but it takes time. Some some are naturals, some will take ten recordings of loom and it will take them an hour for a five minute output. And that's fine. Like I've done that as well. Like I, I keep re recording myself in loom. Um but I think and and I don't good example that I just thought about for for acing in terms of a meeting it doesn't necessarily replace a meeting to me um but uh this is something that I learned at on as well was um having acing slack channels um and I love love those for for one on one so essentially we would um say that anytime we need a quick response something like are you joining this meeting or like almost like it I'm coming to tap on shoulder need that mm -hmm. immediately that's a dm because that fires notification that sort of disturbs your flow uh but anytime you're posting something that does not need to be discussed at that moment um or in that specific minute we had um private channels between two people so we would have async well where you're in your eyes so that doesn't really <laughs> work well but you know the two people's name async and there will be just a channel private channel but just a channel so you can change the notifications on that and i love that you're right you naturally mentioned some of the differences of working at on deck versus slido and slido in the early days was a remote friendly company largely focused on the hq with some remote employees and then you joined on deck and to my understanding it was a fully distributed team so how did the experience differ what were some of the nuances i think the it very much started from from starting the job um at a remote first company it was and it was the first time i joined a company like that um where i did not meet anyone in person so it in a way it was like very empowering and and in some ways more efficient but also a few months later it sort of starts to kick in where like all these people who i talk to every day like who are they like, you know like where are they like what is this it kind of makes mm -hmm. it less real um anything on that and on that again and any companies that are similar in this way are doing great in investing into those 
in IRL meetups and, and, and offsides and team offsides and whatever else you will have. And those are super important to have that face time. But um, I think, I think the first thing you notice is, is what I, something that I talked about at the beginning is like having that foundation set up and like writing culture documentation. Like when it came to, to on deck and, and I looked at their Slack and notion, it was like a, it will be your heaven, your dream, uh, <laughs> how that was set up. Right. Um, it's something that we did not get to at Slido because it was work in progress and it was, it was work to adapt to something as opposed to building it from scratch in that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it had all the little things that enabled our work, um, uh, such as the async Slack channels that I mentioned, um, even the, the way how we, you know, very, uh, specific niche thing for anyone who ever worked at OnDeck is is threading on Slack. Like they are obsessed with it. And I I am now too, but just treating every Slack message as a subject line and the body of that message comes to a thread. And it took me a few weeks, few months to to you know adjust to that as well, because I was used to just like dumping my message in Slack. Um and you would get called out and, and I felt super bad when I just dumped a long message on someone's in someone's channel or someone's DM. Um, but once you get the, the the muscle of that going, it it was again not black and white at all, but it was a huge um, like tactical enabler to to kind of scale the communication. Um, and and I love how. S- yeah. Sorry to butt in, but this is a very interesting thing. Uh, how how does it look? This kind of Slack threading, like, can you can you describe it? Yeah. So technically, what do we do is. Um, say I'm going to post a message to a to a channel um, with a bunch of other people in there. So my I'm, I'm first going to write or think about the subject line, same as you're writing an email. So mm-hmm. if the if the email subject would be update on pricing, then I'm going to post a Slack message update on pricing. And you can add a, sometimes we added emojis to that, like, is it a question? You could add a question mark. Is it like very important? Or is it, you know, you could indicate kind of the, the feel or the vibe for that message or that update. Um, you post that message and that's all. So it's like few words, max, just one line. And then you open that thread yourself and your first message in the thread is the body of the email or body mm-hmm. of the message. So that's where I'm actually doing like, oh, the new pricing is this. This is why we decided it. Here's some important links. Like here's a Notion doc, which you, if you want to go more in depth, here's a loom of me explaining it. You know, you can dump all of that into uh, a thread. Um, and it works really well for for many most use cases like again what i'm saying is not black and white like you don't want to overdo it and and some situations there's just no benefit of doing it this way but um i i love seeing this for like longer updates and longer messages that would just kind of take over the whole channel and it's hard to find stuff mm-hmm. um, so, so the main benefit is to keep the channel organized i think so it also sort of by keeping it organized, you can sort of cram in more information, more context because it's hidden in a thread. You can, as I mentioned, you can add links, you can add Loom, you can add the message. Um, I feel like if it is just one message in the Slack channel, you're trying to over edit it and make sure that it's like neat, but also like cohesive, but it's not too long, you know, like, like you can kind of over communicate in, in the thread, uh, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. So it also improves the legibility of the message. Yeah, I think so. And it empowers other teams to, you know, go. Some might want to mm-hmm. go more in depth in something. That's where you can share resources and 
stuff mm-hmm. like that. And and just to better visualize it, can we think of it as the Twitter uh, threads that you can find on the social network? Yeah, the, 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 the Twitter threads that I learned to hate, like here are 15 lessons that I learned from my life. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, those 15 <laughs> lessons. Yeah, you could imagine like that. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Any other uh, URI nuances? Um, any other things that you would point out when working for a fully distributed team? I So a specific meeting, which I think a lot of companies uh, do is like a, the, the weekly staff meeting, mm-hmm. like the weekly update meeting. Um, I I think for my whole life at Slido, I try to optimize those meetings and figure out how they can be done better because I'd never particularly loved them, especially as you're leading them or, or emceeing them. I don't know. It was always pain in the ass for me to like ask around for updates, go around, and we like rotate mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Never liked them myself um, until I came to Ondeg. Funnily enough, I, I, I still don't love them, but they're much more efficient. Uh, what they've done is they would share um, a Notion doc, so all the sort of operating system for Ondeg was also Notion. So they would there would be a Notion doc um, for that particular meeting. So like team meeting and date um, um, that would get pre-populated with maybe some template or something that you want to fill out on, on a weekly basis. That would be, that would be there already on Notion. And, and everyone had the habit of like, and maybe there was a reminder as well, but we were in the habit of like the day before the meeting, I'm going to go to the document and sort of add my updates, move cards, whatever I need to do, um, just like work on it and prep for the meeting. Um, and then when we got to the meeting, we spent the first, I want to say like up to 15 minutes, maybe, or like 10 minutes, um, just reading it in silence. Um, and the, the person who would be hosting the meeting or emceeing would play music, like they would play their favorite Spotify song, which was always nice, like, or Red Hot Chili Peppers have a new album, like, let's listen to that. Like there would be something, mm. um, and so music will be playing and you're reading, like we're reading in silence. Everyone is a mute. Uh, you give yourself a, a, a bit of a time, give a warning of like, is everyone done? Do you need more time? And you're not just reading, but you're also working in the doc. So you can see people sort of typing in and moving across the dog and adding stuff asking questions, tagging people. And at the bottom of the dog, we had a sort of a parking lot, lot or a space for like, what are the three to five things that we need to also discuss and go through? So once that reading time was done, those first 10, 15 minutes, we would then unmute and work through those three to five items, depending how much time we had left. And it was so much more productive instead of just like going around circle and listening to the sometimes not really helpful update from someone or someone likes to talk too much about something irrelevant and sometimes that's you know you don't get the time to cover what's important so this was a i think staff meeting or updates done well uh in this example for me i love it i just i just, I just love the idea of combining the pre-meeting work with the actual meeting and really focusing on what's the most important thing. You know, until now we have been talking mainly about the synchronous work, but as we mentioned at the start, like building products also requires this synchronous work, right? Like brainstorming, prioritization, project kickoffs, design sprints. What's your take on that? What meetings, tools and practices do you find indispensable to be done in... uh, in synchronous way when working with the remote product teams. Yeah, I think I think you named a few like, like things like setting up 
product strategy or roadmap exercise, um, I haven't heard of a good case study where that can be done asynchronously, um, like hundred percent. There's a lot of pre-work that in my opinion should be done and like even like must be done asynchronously because I I think going the synchronous way all the way for, for, for meetings like this, um, is you're risking a more, you're risking time waste. Um, and, and I think that can expand, extend to, to any meeting where like you're, you're meeting with people who are not prepped for that meeting or who didn't think about and like didn't do any pre-thinking before, like it's not going to be the most uh, effective time. Um, so I always love to, you know, again, maybe it started with writing, like here's a memo about the strategy mm-hmm. or like all company strategy. Please read that before, share it with the PMs and then share that a week before, get their comments and questions. Um, and then a few days before I would share something else, like another material for pre-reading. Um, and then we would meet, but everyone would already have thought and kind of got into that wavelength of like, okay, this is the context that we're thinking about this roadmap prioritization exercise meeting. And then we could have much more productive conversations. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm super big on over communication. Um, and, and I think that that just comes from like my experience of always being based somewhere far from the rest of my team. And, and I felt that need and, and, and seen the benefit of our communicating. It doesn't cost you more. It's just like putting that extra effort to communicate and, and, and again, leave trace. Um, so that our communication, I think, becomes super relevant for, for these meetings that happen synchronously as well. Um, and, you know, again, it's like we've all been there where you, you do your best work and, and share something pre-meeting for a pre-read. But then you're bombarding people like, have you read this? Uh, and they haven't. Mm-hmm. And like that happens. Um, I remember our exit meetings where I remember, I feel like we tried something like this. Um, we did, but we yeah. would, yeah, we would always meet and we're like, oh, did you, did you guys read this? Did you go like, no. Okay. So like take, take 10 minutes now and we're going to, again, read it in silence together on this meeting. So like doing things like that is just so much more worth. Like you would think about it as a, as like you're wasting 10 minutes every meeting. Like, no, it's, it's, it's worth the, the 50 other minutes or 20 other minutes in the meeting will be worth more if you spend the time of like getting on the same page. You're right. I'm a huge fan of pre-meeting work, whether it's brainstorming or this kind of exec meetings or whatnot, because even coming back to the example with the brainstorming, right? Like you put team together into one room and there and then you ask them, okay, come up with great ideas. Yeah. You, you will not. <laughs> yeah. You have to place those ideas in a context. You have to think about it. And maybe a great idea is going to come up when you're taking a shower or walking down the street or grabbing a cup of coffee. And, like, eh, and then you can just put it into that document that you're using to do your pre-meeting work. But then once you meet for the brainstorming session, yes, you can bring it up and you have that idea called, uh, captured. And and it radically improved the way we did brainstorming sessions. Uh, this kind of uh, pre-meeting work. Um, and I think you help help other people to like collaborate and add it in. Like you know, some people, and I'm I'm one of them. Like I need that time with myself to think. I'm not gonna be like you know sitting in a meeting like you are. I come up with a great idea that will absolutely you know change our business. Like no, I, I need time. Um, and I think that should be respected. Um, as opposed to like pointing fingers at that one person who's quiet in a meeting 
where it's just yeah that's not how they can contribute absolutely and we are not even talking about the differences in personalities i think both of us are leaning more towards the extrovert side um even though we are potentially not fully extroverts but think about all those introverts that need much more time to you know like digest their thoughts and think about them and then even voicing them um you know takes much more effort for them versus to um, employees and team members who are more on the extroverted side so um yeah a a lot of a lot of benefits of uh, doing things in writing and doing pre-meeting work for sure. Yeah. Yura, you talked a lot about the differences in uh, in how companies build their cultures on deck, intentionally and by default, fully distributed versus Slido, who had to adopt to a, a remote-only setup. And very often companies such as these two and many others find themselves working in a hybrid model, right? Some team members are located in the HQ or in the offices. And there is this kind of tendency to lean more towards the HQ where where people meet in, in, in person, which creates a misbalance. So how can leaders uh, help to level the playing field f- mainly for their remote remote team members? Yeah. It's, that one's close to my heart because as we touched on before, like I've been there, I've, I was based in San Francisco um, with the with the team in HQ and I'm pretty much all the rest of our leadership in, in, in HQ or in Europe. Um, so it was hard. It was, you know, there, there are instances where I would wake up early in the morning to attend the call to learn that that call is no longer relevant because we changed something in our strategy or a decision was made uh, during the day of European hours. I think in terms of time zones, there's nothing you can do and it is actually healthy or like logical to have a time zone preference or, or center for, for how your work is done. And it happens even like on a smaller scale but with, with companies who are distributed across um, between West Coast and East Coast um, and they'll prefer one or another or they will have a certain central time zone when they're also hiring folks. So I think that that makes sense. But I think the key is over communication again, especially from leadership. Like you, you kind of need the need to lead the example of when I have this conversation or thought or, or something that could change. Like, don't think about just how it's going to change this one time zone or these few immediate people that I'm going to see and meet throughout a day or a week. But there are going to be other people in other time zones and geographies that will get impacted. Um, at that point, it's everyone in the company. So what what communication can I put out, even if it's not finished? Like, how can I communicate um, a work in progress discussion or a decision or a thought even? Um, I, I know that on, on deck, we, um, um, we had a Slack channel that the two co-CEOs uh, would, would use a lot. And it will be what's on my mind. It will be Slack channel where the whole company was there, and 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 it was it was something for that kind of like that oftentimes biased idea or shower thought that you know founders often have and other people have as well. Uh, they could dump it in there. Uh, of course, there'll Love be it. more 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 work, and they'll process with their immediates or a team or whatever in other context, but. It's a place where you can dump it and let other team members also build up on it and, and, and think about it. And it doesn't mean that what's get, what gets posted there is is like setting stone and this is happening. I think that's what the Slack channel 
does well at like managing those expectations, but it's such a important visibility piece into your leadership's mind and what are they thinking about this particular week or day. And you would see other things. You would see a message there. You would see a Loom video from them like this week. I'm really thinking about this new business model, or you would see a, a, a little drawing, like anything. I think it, it bridges the gap. Ooh, sound like I work at Slido, but it bridges the gap between the leadership and, and the team, right? But it also just um, has awesome visibility for everyone. Old habits die hard, right? No worries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, super, super interesting idea, honestly. And I think it has another benefit. It helps you to understand things more contextually. So when the final decision is actually made, you can connect and you know put those puzzle pieces together. And it's yeah. like, okay, so this is what the CEO was thinking about three months ago when I see yeah. the whole process of how we got to that final yeah. idea. And it doesn't come as a surprise, but you can trace it back, so to speak. I, I, I lo absolutely love the idea, honestly. Um, Yurei, we could be talking for hours. And uh, thank you so much. Incredible, incredible insights. Uh, one final question that we ask all of our guests on our podcast, and that is, what are your top three books on product management, remote work, or business in general that inspired you? Oh, man. I'm trying to stay away from, from business books to protect my mental health. But um, I I had to, if I were to say three, I think product management specific would be inspired by mm -hmm. Marty Kagan. Um, probably hear it all the time, but it helped us at Slido a lot to build that product organization and function with user research as well. Connected to that, the mom test um, by Rob Fitzpatrick is great. Very like easy to understand. Uh, any user researcher, any product manager, anyone who touches product, any I don't know, anyone should read it. Like it's great <laughs> on like how you talk to your users and and can build what they want. Um, and then since we talked about a lot about writing, this one's bit more, I don't know, you don't hear it as much often, but I but I actually got the recommendation from some folks at Stripe when I was asking them about their writing culture and they recommended Barbara Minto's uh, Pyramid Principle. Barbara mm -hmm. Minto is like this amazing woman executive at McKinsey. She spent 20 years mm -hmm. there, uh, very like consulting background. Uh, and and the, the Pyramid Principle is something she came up with in terms of clear, convincing writing, communication. Um, it's a real good one. I know that principle super important helped me incredibly to communicate more effectively, quicker, etc. Yurai, thank you so much even for those recommendations at the very end. Uh, once again, it was wonderful to have you as a guest and thank you so much for all the insights. Thank you. Excited to be here. <laughs>